the biggest story going into Alabama State's homecoming isn't the game. It isn't the tailgate. It's those two five-star recruits that will be present for the game versus Jackson State. And we have some other games of the week that you should be watching out for. Oh, yeah. It's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over it just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives and today's episode is brought to you by the upside app download the free upside app and use the promo code locked to get five dollars or more on your first purchase of ten dollars or more and i want to talk about the alabama state homecoming game but not exactly the action between the white lines, not exactly who's going to win. Put all of that to the side, not the festivities around it. Put all of that to the side. I want to talk about what could be the biggest story going into the game. Coming out of the game, the biggest story will be the game. But going into the game, a big story feels like the fact that five-star, yes, five-star defensive lineman James Smith and then also Jaquavius Rousseau, who we're just going to call him Quay, right? Just Quay Rousseau, right? But these two men, because these some big boys, these, these some men, all right? These two guys are going to be present at the Alabama State homecoming game, and this is major. Both of them are teammates coming out of Carver High School in Alabama, in Alabama. So these are local kids, right? These are players who... You can point to a bunch of HBCUs that are popular and things of that nature. We'll get to that. But Alabama State is very close to them. So you could say that there's probably some hometown bias and there's some other relationships that I think are going to sway and make Alabama State a little bit harder to just write off. I'll say that. Um, but James Smith's. James Smith comes into this as the top ranked player in the state of Alabama. He's the number 14th overall player in the nation. And then Quay is the fourth ranked player in the state and the 26th ranked play, uh, player overall in the nation. When you look at Smith, who is as the number one player in the state, clearly looked at as like the crown jewel a lot of times. He has a little bit of versatility. He's an inside defender, so he's a defensive tackle. However, He's also played some edge rusher a little bit earlier in his career in his sophomore year. I don't know, you know, maybe you might put some some weight on. I don't know if he can still do that, but he has shown the ability to be on the outside at the past. Um, and then you also look at Rousseau, who is naturally an edge rusher. He's an edge rusher through and through. I kind of hope that these players don't commit elsewhere early or do early enrollee. Um they can commit to Alabama State today, tomorrow, whatever, for all I care. It's a topic instantly. But I would love to talk about them in a, you know, a deeper dive on these players when it comes to recruiting time around January, February, when we're really getting to like the brink of 
National Signing Day. That's when I would really love to do a deeper dive on these players or when they commit to Alabama State in the middle of November. That wouldn't bother me either. And the reason I keep saying they and and kind of grouping those two together is because they are thick as thieves. These are two guys who are best friends from everything I, I've read. These two are tight. They are, they are two best friends who have the same top six teams, right? So you have Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, Auburn, Florida, and then Alabama State. So you're looking at four SEC teams. You're looking at one Big Ten team, the premier Big Ten team, and you also have Alabama State. So these are highly recruited players as if being top five in the state, top 30 in the country didn't kind of give that away. But these are highly recruited players. But I'm going to tell you one reason, and it's a big reason in my opinion, that you shouldn't just write off Alabama State as easy as it might be. You shouldn't just write off Alabama State. And that's because of relationships. And when you think about recruiting, it's all about relationships. And you look at Eddie Robinson, right? Eddie Robinson is a local guy as well. He actually went to high school and played ball with both of these players, trainer. So you're looking at Tracy Varner and you're like, okay, he has a little bit of a connection to Eddie Robinson. That's good. That's good. That's one thing that's going to go for him, but it doesn't stop there. The connection doesn't stop there. And that's good enough. Honestly, that's a good enough pull for what people say. Oh, okay. I can see why they would go there. But you also have Billy Gresham, who used to be the high school coach at Carver, which is the school that both of these players are coming from. He wasn't there when they were there. However, they should have been around eighth, I mean, around seventh grade, I think, um, when he did end up leaving. And now he's at Alabama State. So he has local ties. And it just so happens that he ends up being the high school relations director and recruiting coordinator. These things are going to play in part. Two reasons I think this is major before we wrap this thing up is because, one, they aren't going for a Jackson State, a North Carolina A&T, a FAMU. I think it's great that. Schools like that get shine, right? It's not like there is not enough room for everybody in the HBCU landscape to get talent. The problem is often it's not everybody in the HBCU landscape getting talent. So when you see a school like Alabama State getting a nod, I think that's big because they aren't one of the popular HBCUs. This isn't a ride the wave, I'm going to put an HBCU on my on my list type of thing. I do not think that's what it, uh, this is at all. And for that reason, I think it's pretty stinking cool, to be honest. I love it. I love it. And I think it actually is a shot of it happening. Those two things are important. I know that Jackson State is there, and um, I'm sure they'll get in their ear. I'm sure they will. However, Alabama State right now is the target for both of these players, and I hope it stays that way because I would love for Alabama State to be right there. Let's just be honest, guys. I think that if Jackson State gets all the talent, man, it's, it's not fun. It's just not. If we get to a point where it feels like Jackson State's just going to win the conference every year and there's no competition, it's not fun. These two players going to Alabama State increases the the quality of SWAC football, in my opinion. I'll just be honest with you. If if you're under the assumption that Jackson State is going to blow everybody out, nobody's close to them, um, they're just way better than everybody else, which I think there are some people who believe that right now. If that's the case... What's the fun in this, man? Let's just Madden sim this thing to the end and let's get on to the Celebration Bowl and see what they can do against the MEAC. Let's just let's just do that. But you get more players or high-level players at some of these other schools, high-level recruits at some of these other schools. Now it's more fun. Now it's the whole conference is elevating. The whole conference is rising. And I can promise you, most Jackson State fans, that's probably what they're looking for. 
And then the last thing on why this is major and maybe the biggest reason this is major is because look at the position that these two players play. Yes, we had Travis Hunter just go. However, when you look at that North Carolina Central loss to Campbell, a lot of it gets pointed to the trenches. A lot of HBCUs, this is the conversation around HBCUs. The conversation is that HBCUs can't compete with other conferences, not because they aren't good teams, but because when it comes to the trenches and when it comes to being physical, they get out physical. It's because when it comes to stopping the run and somebody just trying to run down your throat, you can't stop them. But when you get a guy like Rousseau, when you get a guy like Smith in there, it's a whole lot different. A lot of people feel like the next step for HBCUs to truly compete and the next step that they, not even in competition, but the next step they need to reach for just personal evaluation is to recruit in the, in the trenches, to recruit the big fellas. Sounds like Rousseau and Smith fit the build. That's why this is so exciting. This is a visit. I'm not saying it's a commitment. I'm just saying we should not write Alabama State off just because they're the only HBCU in their top six. Oh, man, I hope that this happens. But either way, I'm very excited that these two players will be there for homecoming because there's no time like homecoming to actually get your recruiting on. I'm just going to be honest. It's the, it's the best time. And almost, I think that's – no, I got caught on the preview weekend. That's how I ended up going to Texas Southern, the preview weekend. But anywho – as we continue with Locked on HBCU, I want to talk about Prairie View. Prairie View A&M's athletic director is now gone, unfortunately. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about Upside because everybody has to drive eventually. And when you're driving, you're going to have to get gas. And that's just what it is. But Upside makes the process of getting gas significantly easier. It's less stressful. Um, you don't have to sit there and worry about, oh, my gosh, I'm dropping a bag on gas right now right because you know with the upside app you're going to get money back this happened to me i still remember the first time you had five dollars sitting in my upside account and when you're paying man five dollars is a lot right it's, i'm getting five dollars back i can uh what's five dollars now man they got a couple of boxes but they be trying to upcharge on the boxes nowadays but five dollars can go get you a good good something from the store all right get a couple of tostitos pieces from the store if you want to Download the Upside app, make sure you put your card information in, and if you wanted to go to a gift card, if you wanted to go back to your actual card, they'll do both of that on the Upside app. Just make sure you tell them where you're paying and what you're paying with, and then you can choose where that money comes back to. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using the promo code LOCKED. As we keep rolling with today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And today's word of the day is atone, which means to make amends. And I don't think that the Prairie View Athletic Director is going to have any time to atone for his misgivings and his mishandlings of the Prairie View football team because he's out of there. He's done. You've had your chances. We're going to talk about everything that went into Donald Reed losing his job as the Prairie View Athletic Director. And then also, who's going to take over for him? Because I think both of those questions are important. Why did this man lose his job? And from what I'm reading, deservedly so. But then also, that's, that feels a little harsh. I don't want to say he meant he should lose his job, but he definitely felt like he wasn't handling the football team right. And I understand why he was fired. I hope that's a little bit more sensitive. But I want to know the answer to that. And then also... Who's going to take over? Because if you're going to 
let your athletic director go. You can't just have the void vacant in the middle of football season. You can't allow that. Um, but yeah, this is a move that feels sudden. It feels random. But when you really get into why it happened, it's not sudden and it's also not random. It's just the timing of it is inopportune. It's not a timing that you want it. So now because it's happening on a random October day, it feels sudden. It feels random. We didn't hear any of this percolating. It's the athletic director. Why would we? So to us, the consumers, it does feel random. But when you listen to what Miss um, Ruth Simmons, or excuse me, Dr. Ruth Simmons had to say, you understand it. But let's talk about the timing of it before we get to her statements and talking about why this happened. You typically don't want to make this move in October. I think there's two times that you would want to replace your athletic director, and that's either late December or the summer. And I'm going to tell you why both of those are the case. So with the summer, there's no sports going on. You could probably even let your athletic director go and not need an interim title on anybody. You just go and do your whole search, and then there's nothing that you really feel like you need to tend to. Softball's done, right? We know basketball's done. Football might be in practice mode, maybe depending on how late in the summer we're talking. But for the most part, you're not having so much on your plate at the moment. So you want to replace an athletic director in the summer. If it's late December, you're looking at, okay, football season is over. Basketball season is going. However, basketball season isn't in conference yet. So you feel like there's a little bit less on your plate. I feel like I've never been in the athletic director position, but I would feel as if conference basketball is not as, or excuse me, out-of-conference basketball is not as important as conference basketball when you come into just playing and coaching and all of those things, I would maybe think that athletic directors also have a little bit slower of a time when it comes to conference period, you're going to start ramping up. That's what I would think. I could be wrong, but that's that makes sense to me. So I'd rather do it in late December because maybe if I can fill that void, I can have them there for that more busy time of conference season, getting ready for the tournament and things of that nature. That's when I would want my athletic director to be involved. So let's get into why this happened. Because if you think about it like a coach, if you get fired mid-season, you're really doing something wrong. That means we didn't even want to finish the season with you. You got to get out of here right now. And that's kind of how I look at it with the AD. You couldn't make it to the summer. You're doing something drastically wrong. And here was something that Dr. Ruth Simmons said. She said, for months, I had been hearing about the fact that things were not functioning well in the department, and it was causing severe problems for our athletes. That's the number one concern. Let's remember that, guys. The athletes are the number one concerns, and this is causing trouble for them. Let's continue. Culminating two weeks ago when the football team went to Alabama State, they arrived at the airport and there was no plane to take them to the game. They waited five hours for a plane to come and transport them. Nevertheless, they won the game. And I keep asking, how did that happen? Because they had a horrible experience. We had no choice but to set this on the right course and to do it as quickly as possible. I take full responsibility as president and I have to make those decisions when necessary. So let's go ahead and break down some of the things that she said in there and why I think they are so important. Number one, how is the football team waiting five hours for a plane to take them to Alabama State? This is something that she felt was so drastic that she's confused on how they even won the game, right? <laughs> That's how bad this experience was. She's like, man, how are they even in the, in the right uh, mind frame to win this game? 
But when you just take it away and it doesn't even have to be that serious, even if you think that's an, an exaggeration, how does that happen? That's a mishandling of this. And one thing she said that is very, very, very important and maybe even more important than forgetting about the plane or not scheduling the plane to be there at the right time or whatever happened on why they had to wait. She said, I've been hearing. I've been hearing. All right, listen, listen. For months, I had been hearing about the fact that things were not functioning well in the department for months. So when I say this wasn't sudden, this wasn't random, that's what I mean. This has been going on for months. And now you forget to, I don't even know what happened. You forget to, to schedule the plane? I don't know. You just, you don't get the team to Alabama State in a timely manner. Let's say that. Whatever the reason that didn't happen is the reason that didn't happen. However, you didn't get them there in a, in a timely fashion. Nah, you can't keep making mistakes like this and then result in something like that. I understand why they said, you know what? We need a change and we need a change immediately. And immediately means down the read, you got to lose your job. And now we have to have an interim um, athletic director. And that interim athletic director is going to be John Gardner, who right now is the chair of, of the athletic committee. And he'll step in until a new leader's there, right? One thing I see about that is, all right, got to move within, but you're going to have an assistant essentially with them. And that's Fred Newhouse. He said he's going to serve as the consultant to the director, coaches and staff during this period. And in that capacity, he will be attentive to assisting the interim director and in representing athletics, reaching out to constituents, answering questions and supporting the director's activities. So to me, that's a you have to have somebody in that position, but then also. We're going to bring in Mr. Newhouse because we want to make sure that things are a little bit more organized and maybe with two heads, we can be more organized than we could with only one. I think that's probably the thought process behind it. We'll see, but it makes sense to me. Um, overall, I just think that leaving the team stranded for five hours, not able to get to the destination in a time they likely could have flew to Alabama State in five hours, right? But they ended up having to wait five hours for a plane. When you're screwing up and things are not functioning correctly for months, you can't make a mistake like that. That becomes a fireable offense. We talk about eating up at leashes. His leash had already been eaten, probably down as far as they could. And then now you're looking at a big time move or big, a big time mistake like this. Yeah, I'm sorry, bro. Your job is done. But going forward, I want to talk about something more exciting. Let's pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And let's talk about these games of the week that didn't quite make the cut for number one. But I still think there's some heat in this week. I think it's crazy. But let's talk about that as we continue with Locked on HBCU. As wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And shout out to my folks who made it to the end, my segment three people. I'm going to find a better name. I got to find a better name, something that flows off the tongue a little bit more. But I want to talk about the games of the week that didn't quite make the cut for number one, the top game of the week. I've already said that that's Florida A&M versus South Carolina State. But listen, there's a couple of teams who aren't playing this week. There's a couple of teams who are not playing this week. You got half the MEAC not playing. MEAC not playing, excuse me. You have North Carolina A&T not playing. Hampton not playing. And even with those teams out of commission for the week, this is still a heat-filled week of HBCU action. I mean, 
this next game right here, these two are going toe-to-toe. -to -toe, or not these two. This next game and then also FAMU versus South Carolina State was going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I mean, I'm talking about John Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson. Toe-to-toe. -to -toe, coming down to the end. Coming all the way down to the wire with who was I going to pick. And I think the results of last year's game ended up letting the FAMU versus South Carolina State one win. But when I tell you, Morgan State has homecoming. Tennessee State has homecoming. Alabama State has homecoming. Eric Dooley State has homecoming. Jason Dumas State has homecoming. Yes, I'm talking about the Southern Jaguars versus Prairie View. This just narrowly missed the cut. But this is a game with the homecoming storyline, but it's not really homecoming. Eric Dooley has left Prairie View. He brought Jason Dumas with him. Now they're returning to the scene of the crime. I am so happy that the schedule gods made this game in Prairie View this year. Because yes, this game would have happened no matter what. They're both in the SWAC West. These two teams would have faced off. But is it really as enticing if it's in Southern? No. This is a big deal because Eric Dooley is returning to Prairie View. This is a big deal because Jason Dumas is returning to Prairie View. This is a big deal because every player that did not follow him to Louisiana because everybody ain't go to Baton Rouge. Jason Dumas did, but everybody didn't go to Baton Rouge. Those who didn't on a mission saying, I'm going to show you why you should have stayed with us. You should have never left. And you stayed within the division. You knew you were going to see us every single year. It wasn't all I'll catch them every now and then. No, you're going to play me every year. And I'm going to make you feel it. Well, after a couple of years, those guys won't be there. And it, I don't think the Heat will still be there. But for right now, there's a lot of players that essentially he abandoned. I'm, I'm going to speak to it from a bulletin board. I'm a Prairie View player point of view. I got to show you. And then Dooley is on a mission to make sure he doesn't lose to his old team. It goes both ways. He's probably on a mission to make sure I don't lose to Bubba McDowell. I think that Eric Dooley versus Bubba McDowell thing is probably going to be a big brother versus little brother thing. I got a little brother, right? The, the other day, somebody told me that my little brother going to be taller than me. And to be the truth be told, he probably is. Right, we just walking. Somebody said, "Man, your little brother gonna be taller than you," and he probably right. But here's the thing: I told him, "You ain't never gonna be bigger than me," cause he kind of skinny. But here's the thing: I ain't never gonna let my little brother beat me, never. And that's that big bro, little bro mentality. See, you had Eric Dooley, but under him was Bubba McDowell. Now Bubba McDowell is the head coach, and he's going against Eric Dooley. It's that, same, it's that same mindset as when I say, I'll never let my little brother beat me. Dooley probably has that same mindset. But even if you want to take the personal things out of it, let's not talk about that big bro versus little bro. Let's not talk about that former coach against his former team. Let's not talk about any of that. Let's act as if these were just two regular coaches that never had any allegiances, allegiances that tied together. You're talking about Prairie View, a team that looks really good. Right, they're undefeated in swag play. You talking about Southern, the team that is projected to be the favorite. Last year's champion versus this year's expected champion going into the season. I think all corners looked pretty good right now, and that's why they're gonna take that crown for the moment. But I think that overall, Southern had a lot of high expectations. And please, let's stop saying that Southern um is inconsistent. I've seen that in an article. I, don't, I just don't think that's true. They said when they're really good, they're really good. When they're bad, they're really bad. They, no, I don't think that's true. I think they just looked bad against Texas Southern. Nothing, their, their loss against LSU was not surprising. 
like it's just not. So let's not say they're inconsistent. They just had a loss versus Texas Southern. They can easily bounce back the same way they did against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Um, going forward, you have Morgan State versus Norfolk State, and this is my number three game. And I think to have a game so high with a team like Norfolk involved, it just speaks volumes about how excited I am about Morgan State. Um, no disrespect to Norfolk, but they have not given me anything to be high or excited about this year. Maybe going into conference play, that'll change. But as of right now, they haven't given me any any reason to say, oh, I can't wait to see Norfolk play. Nothing. But Morgan State has won two in a row. Damon Wilson is a good coach. We know it. And he could turn it around this year. I said there should be no expectations on him. None at all. Not to be good, not to be bad. No expectations. We just see how this game is and how this season is going to turn out. But now it kind of looks like they might have some things together. But those two out-of-conference victories ain't going to mean anything. You need to beat teams in a MEAC. Now the games matter. For Norfolk, you can turn things around. But for Morgan State, I'm very interested to watch and sit down and see how they perform in their first conference game and Damon Wilson's first conference game. That's what's so interesting to me. That is the driving force. And speaking of driving forces, you have Bethune-Cookman versus Tennessee State, and these are two teams who driving force is likely looking for I want to say redemption, but that doesn't feel applicable for Bethune-Cookman. It's redemption on different levels. I'll say that. They're looking for a bounce back. Let's just say that. Tennessee State is looking for redemption, right? It's a little bit of a difference. You have seven consecutive losses stretching over the span of two different seasons for Tennessee State. Earlier this week, I talked about teams or uh, coaches who are on the hot seat. And Eddie George was on that list. I didn't create the list, but I'm reacting to the list. So when I saw that, I was a little bit surprised. I don't think he's on the hot seat, but the fact that his name is even tied to a hot seat speaks volumes about how bad Tennessee State has been. They lost a lot of starters last week. Like, that was a very tough game. I will admit it. However, you still want to beat Lane. And now we're at a point that now that you've lost the Lane, even if you had everybody on your team, if you beat Lane, you feel good because you're sitting there at 0-4. The fan base has to be starving like Marvin for, uh, for a, a victory at some point. At some point, you got to win, right? I, I don't know why I said that, bro. I'm too young to be talking about starving like Marvin. I know, but when you, when you grow up and your family listen to LL Cool J, you say starving like Marvin for a Cool J song. It just come out right now, and it just felt like the right moment to say it. But overall, Tennessee State has lost seven games in a row. You have to be starving, all jokes aside, for a victory over anybody. And it's homecoming. You don't want to go out with your eighth straight loss at homecoming. And I understand that Coach George said the team is developing. It's a work in progress. It's not an overnight fix. It may not be an overnight fix, but I'll tell you something that needs to happen pretty stinking quickly. Draylon Ellis needs to get healthy, and Devon Starling needs to get healthy. They're both dealing with foot injuries, um... Starling has a turf toe, and then Ellis has a, a high ankle sprain. They'll both be game-time decisions. We'll see what's going to happen, but they need to get back stat, 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 stat. That's what I know needs to happen. Overall, I just feel as if Bethune-Cookman isn't starving like that. They want to bounce back, but they've just been kind of up and down. You want to establish some consistency for them. You want to see Kamari Avery continue to be involved in the offense like he was, especially against Grambling, even on a higher extent than that. But overall, they ain't starving. They're not at the point of desperation that I feel like Tennessee State is. 
Bethune Cookman's need to bounce back is not enough to put them in the game of the week. But Tennessee State's desperation and probably starving nature for a victory is. And when you combine two teams that are hungry for a victory and really looking for the team to show some resilience, now you have a game that's entertaining, a game that I feel like I need to watch. So those are our games of the week. But our number one game of the week is FAMU versus South Carolina State. And we'll be talking about that on tomorrow's episode. But I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And remember, for your second listen, make sure you're checking out our conference shows on the network. They are must-see content. We holding it down for the whole Locked On Network. And in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.